This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. How can I get out of my own way? How can I manifest my best self? How can I be not just successful, but massively successful in my job, in my profession, in my business, in my life? How can I do all this in seven minutes a day? Well, you're listening to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. And today we're going to get into these questions and talk about a seven minute shift that maybe can help you achieve some of these outcomes in your life and in your work. My guest today is Michelle Sarah. She's a certified freedom formula facilitator and a certified happiness coach. She's also the founder of Elevated Mind, which is a company focused on helping people manifest their greatest self and their highest potential. And her book is called The Seven Minute Shift. And that's what we're talking about today. Michelle, welcome to The Authority. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's start here, Michelle. What does a happiness shift have to do with professional growth? I don't know if we hear these topics talked about in conjunction often enough. And I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, happiness, like this whole topic of happiness is relatively new. And that sounds funny to say that, right? Like, why should happiness be new? But this focus, like, you know, five years ago, you there weren't very many books on happiness. And now there's a ton, right? right. But happiness, the thing is, all of the studies that have been done around happiness, we know that happiness precedes success, right? We think it's success and then I'll be happy. And surely if you reach certain goals, you feel happy, you're way up there feeling great, but it's usually a short-term thing. And so we know through the happiness studies that when we pursue happiness, when we learn to cultivate a deep well of happiness, when we are able to shift our mindset and make that our first priority each and every day, then success naturally follows. Yeah. And like, as you said, it's that directional relationship, right? Oh, if I'm successful, then I'll be happy. But it's almost a case of, it's really difficult to truly 
come up with a definition of success that will hold until we have defined what happiness is for us. I mean, so many times if we are pursuing these professional outcomes and we think, okay, if I achieve X, Y, and Z, that'll make me happy. And then of course we find out that it doesn't, it really just leads to the next thing. Okay, well now I did this and now I need to do that. But there's not, you don't have that context for understanding, well, why would that make you happy? (laughs) What about that is supposed to make you happy versus when we find happiness in our life, whether that's with respect to our relationships or just the way that we are conceiving of ourselves and our personal growth and all, then it gives us that context to say, okay, now I kind of know what happiness looks like for me. And now I know what other goals in my life, professional or otherwise, would support that and help me to increase that. But it's something that so many of us, unfortunately, only learn through experience and then find out, oh, you know what, that wasn't actually the right trajectory. And it's good right. to, to have these yeah. conversations early and often so that we can map out maybe a more productive path. Yeah, you bring up a really good point in importance of just knowing what happiness is for you, right? We go after happiness, like we're running to reach a goal post. And the thing is in with goals, like when you reach a goal, like your brain moves that goal post. So you're never really able to fully experience a depth of happiness from having achieved the goal. And so then if you really think about that, it makes perfect sense then that on a logical, the logical side, that if we can create that happiness foundation first, then there is no moving of the goalpost, right? Then we then we can experience happiness as we continue to succeed. But yeah. as you said, it's really important for every person to figure out what happiness is for them. And in general, especially because we see this today, that most people don't even know what happiness really is. Like happiness isn't just about feeling positive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's an important yeah, piece. Yeah, and it's not something that just means that you're not attuned to challenges or attuned to things that are difficult, but it's when you understand your broader goals and what's the most important to you, then you're able to, again, like I keep using the word context, but contextualize that and say, well, this thing about is really difficult, but when I do that, it allows me to have this. And this thing is really critical to me. So now that I've thought about that, okay, you know what? I am happy with how this is going, even though it's a difficult day. And that's part of our understanding of even the path we want to take. And I think that um, relates closely to uh, one of the early chapters in the book, which talks about how all results are vibrational. And it's about who we attract, who attracts us in those relationships. I think these things are kind of close connected, but can you talk about that concept of vibrational and how that plays into our kind of understanding of our pursuit of whatever our results are going to be. Yeah, sure, sure. So there's a there's a lot of information out there about vibration and investing in things. But there's points that I like to clarify here is I ask people often to look at the vibrational level as thought and emotion, how we feel, what we're thinking. And then of course that thought and emotion drives our behavior, which in turn creates our results. So everything begins then at that thought and emotional level. Any action we take begins 
from our thought and thoughts and emotions. That's why it's so very crucial when you're looking to change a behavior to get a specific result, whether it's in business, whether it's in your career, what relationships, whatever it is, you really have to start at the foundation at that vibrational level, at the level of thought and emotion, else you are only putting a band-aid on something. You're really not making permanent change. And so that's the way I look at the vibrational level is the level of thought and emotion. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. And before we shouldn't go any further, let's say, let's talk about the seven minute shift. <laughs> so it's the yeah. title of the book. It's the core concept here. So what is the seven minute shift? The seven minute shift is a very quick process that you can go through every day. You can go through it in your head. Once you've learned it, you can use this as just a mental exercise that you go through in your head to quickly shift your state of mind. And of course, then we're looking at behavior and result. One of the things that I encourage, like with my clients, I have them start using this every day. But what they find generally is that it becomes this tool to use at any time during the day when their state of mind begins to slip, because we all come up against challenges. You know, life is life. That's not going to go away. We're going to have good days and bad days. But it's when you have the challenges that arise that derail you. And how long that moment of derailing, it might end up being days, right, is what determines your ability to succeed, right? Does this slow you down? Does this stop you altogether? Are you able to move past it and keep going? And so that's where the seven-minute shift comes in because what I found in working with clients, I've practiced meditation for a very long time. And initially, that's where I was taking many of my clients into some kind of daily practice. And that was meditation, of course. And I found there was a lot of resistance there, a lot of difficulty because I would hear, I don't have time. I can't quiet my mind. Meditation isn't easy for me. I'm struggling with this. And so I decided to come up with something that was much faster, but that you can still feel immediate results from. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really appropriate now to kind of almost pivot. It's not exactly a pivot, as you'll explain, but I think it's important for listeners to kind of understand how these concepts fit together. So of course, seven minute shift, you kind of talk about those moments of peace and meditation, right? And reset. And that is not antithetical to being very energetic and enthusiastic and really into your work, but it's those times where you need to get back on track. And so there's a quote that's shared early in the book. It's from Rumi and it says, set your life on fire, seek those who fan your flames. And uh, and this language comes up a lot in the education world. And we have a guest who's going to be on the podcast here soon, who a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, Principal Baruti Kafele. And his big thing is talking about how he's on fire, right? And he actually has this challenge to educators when we talk about burnout and being being wiped out in the job owner, or he says, how can you be burnt out if you were never really on fire in the first place? And a big thing about this is how it relates to the second part of the quote, seek those who fan your flames. And it is that importance of finding the right collaborators, colleagues, community, and understanding that whatever work we're doing is full of challenges. It's full of those days where it's really hard <laughs> to get ignited and we need to not feel like we're alone and we're by ourselves or by people who are throwing water on what we're doing. And so part of that is being really clear about our mission and our purpose and being able to reset and revisit that and say, okay, it's kind of chaotic right now. Let me center myself and remind myself what I'm trying to do here. But part of it is saying, I need to lean into the people that are really on board with me. And I need to not worry about the people who are trying to extinguish my fire. But what does this quote mean to you? Why did you include this in the book? When you set your own vibrational baseline, or you shift your focus to raising your vibrational baseline, raising your level of thought and emotion, right? How you feel. Naturally, you're going to attract others who are in that same place. But it also requires your just awareness of that, that Yes, when you do this work, you're going to naturally attract more people who are where you are. But I want you to also intentionally go out there and attract more people that are where you are. And that's why that quote still like gives me goosebumps when I hear it, just because I love it. You know, protect your mission, protect your goals, protect your passion and your purpose. And you do that by keeping yourself surrounded by the people who fan your flames. Yeah, and particularly if you're in what is called a quote unquote leadership role. And however you define that, it relates to, I think, a lot of things that I often talk about around communication and transparency and, you know, we language versus I language and those things where you're saying, okay, I'm recognizing in my colleagues here a common mission, a common purpose. And we're talking about what we are trying to do. And I am recruiting those collaborators and gaining their buy-in and having them understand what I'm thinking. And here's why I'm doing this and trying to achieve this versus trying to be that charismatic person who's just, but I'm off on my own doing my thing. And people either are or are not inspired by what I'm doing, but they don't feel like they're a part of it. They think, right. and sometimes that doesn't come naturally to everybody, but it's important to think about that you can only go so far alone and you can't 
if, if you're not bringing everybody along with you or you're not giving them insight into what is fueling you or what is fueling everybody or you're understanding that in most situations certainly when we talk about in the education world we know that there's a common purpose we we mm -hmm. know that and everybody may have a little bit of a different way of expressing that some people may not know how or they may not have felt empowered or free in the past to show that because they weren't sure what the reaction was going to be like or they worked for a place where they had an administrator who didn't seem to want that right, right. and right. so how powerful can it be when we're all speaking to each other in a way that we understand look we want to be fanning each other's flames because we want to see that and we want to see that energy absolutely absolutely yeah in it too like part of that process is understanding if you're in a place where your state of mind is not where you want it to be on a daily basis because of whatever environment you're in and how difficult it may be, the challenges that brings. This process allows allows you to get to a place where the kind of people you want to attract mm -hmm. and surround yourself with. Yeah, absolutely. So are there other elements that are present in a successful mindset, right? like a, a mindset for success in addition to some of the things we've already touched on? Definitely. There's a couple things that I'll, I want to say here. When I look at like the seven minute shift and the elements of that, the reason I put them together was, of course, to elevate a person's state of mind, right? To elevate mm -hmm. your mind, to give you tools, to remind you of experiences you've had where you have felt the way you want to feel now. Because we get in this, our society of instant gratification, we forget like we want what we want, we want it now, but we forget that we've had it in the past, that we can have it again. And I bring in the visualization of self-image, right? Of reminding yourself of who you are in the process of becoming. Our brain has to see that version of ourselves to move towards it. Otherwise we stay. This is the second part of what I wanted to say is we stay in our comfort zone. And this is a really big piece in terms of a success mindset is having the skills to move outside of your comfort zone. Because typically we... We venture out a little bit, right? We come up against this event or circumstances that we fear feeling a sort of pain from, whether that's like just discomfort or imposter syndrome or not good enough, whatever those things are. We avoid going any further because we don't want to feel the pain of that, right? We don't have, we have lost a lot of skills around moving through fear. And so when we go out of our comfort zone and then we start to feel this discomfort and we say, nope, we go back to our comfort zone and we don't grow any further. We certainly don't bring our message to the masses and we don't make those big impacts, whether it's through an organization or on our own. So those two pieces, calling on the things that you already have available to you right now, and also building a skill to move outside of your comfort zone more and further. Yeah, totally. The one word, I think I, I probably mentioned it a couple of different times just in our introduction, and it comes up a lot. It comes up in the testimonials about the book. It comes out throughout the book is manifesting, right? And, and that's yeah. obviously critical terminology here. What is manifesting? I spent a lot of time figuring that out for myself. <laughs> There's a lot of information out there, as I said before, there's a lot of harmful information out there around manifesting. And the way that I 
when I started, to, when I decided to do this work and bring in this topic of manifesting, yes, I do believe that everything at its source is vibrational. We can look at this from a scientific side. We can look at it from a more woo-woo side, right? Either way. As I said earlier, when I began to look at the things that I had manifested in my own life from some really incredible things to some really not incredible things, mm -hmm. some really painful things, I could directly correlate it to my state of mind. And that's not to say that we manifest everything in our life. I don't believe that. I mean, life throws a lot at you. There's the good and the bad and the, the neither, right? That is life. But I do believe we can influence our experiences. And so I come back to, again, I write a lot about it in the book in terms of that vibrational level and what you're attracting through your state of mind, right? It still comes back to the thought, emotion, behavior result. It really, it to me, is what manifesting is. It's where your state of mind is, your behavior follows. And in turn, that's what you influence. That's the results you create. So I can either just kind of blindly go forward and be at the whim of my state of mind, right, which fluctuates quite a bit, or I can make that my focus every single day so that I do manifest more. And the truth is, there are some things that manifest in between all of that are kind of just mind-blowing. Like, you just don't know how that happened and how that came about. And these are the aspects of it that we don't fully understand. And maybe we do that in we, by attracting more of what we are in the state of mind of. Who knows fully? I don't think any of us has that answer. It occurs to me, it seems that manifestation is really closely connected to values and knowing what your values are that it's not necessarily that we can reliably manifest particular outcomes that we think we can understand the values that we stand for and that tether us to our purpose and what we want to bring into the world in that regard mm -hmm. and if we're really focused on achieving and or enhancing whatever our values are our mission and vision in, in a sense that it may lead to some different results and outcomes that what we expected because we couldn't see that far into the future. I mean, and a lot of our listeners are in space where even though they might not be coaches in the sense that you are right, and this is not what they're trained to do, they are in a position where their job is to help others manifest, mm -hmm. whether it's the teachers, whether it's certainly the students to say that, okay, how am I setting up these individuals that are in my direction or in my care to understand their own goals, their own values. And going back to one of our very first episodes of the show, a conversation I had with Sean Slade, we were talking about a student engagement and the ongoing challenge with that. Okay, I don't feel like my students are engaged. They're not excited to learn. They're not happy in class and all those things. And we said, one of the things that would clearly explain that is if we're in an environment where teachers aren't feeling that way because of the burdens that are being placed on them by the profession and they're not feeling happy in their job, they're not feeling particularly engaged, then of course, that's not going to come out in the students. Students are going to respond to what's in front of them, the same as the teachers are. So we need to be mindful yes. at every level to say, okay, am I exhibiting what I would want the people that I'm interacting with to exhibit? And if I'm not, then how can I be surprised, right, that, that they're re reacting to me in the same way as what they're getting out of me? 
you know, manifesting is defined as like making something real, making it mm-hmm. tangible. So when you look at that, like what you were just sharing in an organizational setting or education, and you're looking to help another make something they want real to make it tangible, you know, how do we do that? And of course it comes back to mindset and motivating to take a specific action. And as you said, for teachers, I mean, the, the massive challenge there is they are challenged to be that source of inspiration and motivation because they themselves are overworked and burned out and don't necessarily have the resources available to them. And so that can be the conundrum, like how do I then change myself in order to make that bigger impact and to help others manifest more? How do I begin to manifest that? And really the way that I look at it is like I shared earlier about moving outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Anytime that we feel if we have it like a dominant negative emotion around something or even fear, the way that I like to look at that is it's an indicator that there is untapped potential. And we lean into it, right? But we do that through, you know, of course, making your state of mind your number one priority and your one and only job every day. Right, right. And that is, in this profession, that's a big part of moving outside of your comfort zone is understanding that it's okay to focus on yourself and your own wellness and well-being a lot of times because the pressure is always that it's a service-oriented role and Everything always has to come, particularly for teachers, everything always has to be about students first. It is, but the point is that a lot of times what's going to end up being best for them is the things that you need to straighten out for yourself. I know another one of our episodes not long ago with Byron McClure and Kelsey Reed, their book is about hacking deficit thinking, and it's all about students, but one of the chapters is that educators deserve to flourish. And what I said about that is it would be really hard for an educator to be flourishing and their students to be languishing. Because if you are really operating at peak performance and you are fulfilled and you are happy, right? And you're bringing joy to the workplace and you're that those vibrations are going to carry and you're going to get a lot of response to that. And then it enables everybody else around you to start to tap into that themselves because that's what they're getting from you. You can only really get there if you focus on yourself in that way and saying, okay, what do I need to be doing to be bringing my best self to the environment? And I need to understand that that's that's the right thing to do, that I'm not shortchanging my students by doing that. In fact, I'm shortchanging them by not doing it. Exactly, exactly. Again, coming back to that, the root cause, right? That level of thought and emotion. And that's where all change begins, you know? Yeah. And, and that also, you know, leads me, I want to ask why it's, I don't think you may have an example, but I was thinking about this and I, I can't think of an example where in the long term, anybody achieved or maintained happiness by having pursued goals that they set in reaction to someone else, somebody who decides they want to become successful in XYZ field because they think that'll prove to their parents that they are somebody and they feel like they're being doubted or anything of that nature. Sometimes there's those micro moments. I, I observe this a lot in sports, for example, where 
there are certain athletes who respond best to positive motivation to, I want to prove you. And there's others who do respond to, I I want to prove you wrong, right? (laughs) It's far more, I think the former than the latter, but that's within an environment where perhaps that athlete has already made up their mind that they want to be great at that. And there's just certain things that bring the best out of them in certain moments. But if this is not my goal in the first place, and I just think there's this authority figure and the only way I'm going to earn their respect is if I show them that I can do this, but it's not really the thing that I want to do, or I haven't Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to get there and I'm not going to find myself fulfilled. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know if you have observed examples where that that has worked in the long term, but I think that speaks to why it's so critical to have the mindset of helping people identify what are their values, their goals, the things they want to work toward so that they can really get there. Because ultimately, if we're not defining that for ourselves, you get there and you're miserable. Yeah, yeah, very well said. When it comes to goals, on the first point, when you are pursuing a goal that has been set because of someone else's influence, right? Something because it's what someone else feels you should achieve, or it's something you are set to achieve because it's part of your job, but you're maybe not aligned with that. You know, happiness, one of the elements of happiness is living a life of purpose. I mean, we hear that term, Mm -hmm. but so living a life of purpose doesn't necessarily come from pursuing goals that others set unless you are aligned with that goal and you have identified the meaning in that goal that is tied to you and why you're here and what you're here to do. The other aspect of that is like goals in and of themselves are overrated. We (laughs) we have found in studies that that it isn't the achieving the goal that gives us the greatest happiness, but it's the pursuit of the goal. And so that's why we find that so many times when people are don't have any goals set, they're not in pursuit of anything, that they're experiencing the greatest unhappiness, right? But we can still experience that level of unhappiness when we are pursuing a goal, as you said, that someone else has set. I agree with you. Like, I don't see long-term happiness because it isn't unless you have successfully tied it into your purpose, right? And that's not often the case. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, and overall as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, It eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. 
Right. Cool. And so I, I want to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction here, but I think it all relates. But prior to doing this work, you spent 15 years as a copywriter and a marketer. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about the importance of words and the, yes. the impact of words. So yes. when you were working on your, the messaging and the stories you were telling and the words you wanted to use, what impact do you believe that words have? And what was your mentality around using them and thinking about the things we need to say and want to say and who we're saying it to? Mm, great question. So as human beings, we look for a reflection of ourselves in everything, in everything. And in things that we read, just like in writing the book, being conscious of using language that tells the success, that tells the wonderful outcome, the positive feelings, because we all want that to be us. We want to experience that. We want to feel that. We want to be the hero in our own story. And so words, as a copywriter, words have an immense amount of power. And we can use them to drive negative behavior. We can use them to drive positive behavior. And the spoken word carries a vibration, right? We can look at the stories from indigenous cultures all throughout history that talk about the vibration in song. So it all comes back to that base level, right? The thought and emotion that's going into the words. Because as a copywriter, here's one of the things that like I, when I teach copywriting, I'm always emphasizing the importance of getting into the head of the person that you're writing to, right? Mm -hmm. Getting into their, their deep thoughts, because that's where people are going to resonate and connect with you. And right. in order to do that, you it, it isn't a simple, like when you do it for a long time, you can get there a lot faster, but it does take a little bit of practice. And so I think that, again, we come back to this level of thought and emotion and being aware that what you say or what you write has some level of thought and emotion to it. Where is that going to take you? What goal is that going to achieve or what outcome is that going to achieve? I'm not sure if that answered your question, but no. <laughs> at least it no. took it in a direction, right? <clears throat> yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I was interviewed recently on a podcast and the question was posed to me, what is a brand's story? You know, how do you define mm -hmm. what that is? And my answer was that it's your brand story, your company story, your organization story is not your story at all. It's your customer story. It's the story of what is going to happen in their life by when they interact with you. So in yes. the case here of schools, certainly, or of companies that work with schools, the story is what are the pain points and the challenges that students are facing, families, educators, what are the things they care about? What are the things they need? And what are the things they aspire to? It's aspirational as well. And how do you make a difference in those areas? And it's talking about all of that. And I think that that concept, it comes back here because it's so critical for schools, educators, leaders to be thinking about these things and communicating what they're often already doing, but also communications and when programs, it's a two-way relationship. It is oftentimes think about, okay, what are all the things we're doing that are making a difference? And are we telling people about that? But also it is, okay, what are all the things that they want 
us to be doing and they want to be hearing from us and oh wait we're actually not doing that thing okay that gives us intel on something we need to improve i think more often than not it is it's the former it's just frankly thinking about all right well how would anybody know we're doing this if we're not talking about it and who needs to know and what do they want to know but and i think it also leads into the idea of imposter syndrome and how that can really hurt your marketing such as it is uh, and i know certainly in schools you know, a big thing i've worked with schools on this many many times is your story and the impact you're having it doesn't have to be unique it just has to be meaningful uh you know to the people that you're talking to and a lot of times educators will set the threshold far too high on what's worth talking about and feel as though either certainly feeling like it's potentially bragging or it's just unnatural to talk about myself but it requires a mindset shift to understand that well in fact there are people who really want and need to hear about that mm -hmm. so think about it more as what you're helping them with and the service you're providing to them versus that you're touting yourself but if i am a parent and my child goes to this school I want to hear about the things that are happening there. I don't care if they're different or similar to what other schools are doing. My child's in this school, right? So I want to know what are their values? What do they care about? What are they trying to achieve? What are the programs that they're doing? What's happening in this class? You know, it's big picture and it's small picture, but it's kind of having that confidence to say, I'm thinking about this as how it helps somebody else, not, I don't need it to reflect on me or make me seem like I'm better than anybody else. But exactly. how else does imposter syndrome kind of interfere with our ability to effectively market ourselves? So it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about it in the sense of like, I'm, you know, helping a coach understand how his frustration with imposter syndrome is affecting his marketing or whether it's just as you were saying whether it's part of the education system and getting that message out there right it if you are struggling with imposter syndrome it makes it near impossible for you to one sell right how can i sell something that i do not feel in in integrity for or that i do not feel confident in it causes you to not have clarity around what to talk about and why, because you do not see yourself as the authority to speak to that. Mm -hmm. And it just trickles on down the line. So it doesn't, again, it comes back to being aligned with the meaning. We're all looking for meaning. We're looking, we're all looking to find the meaning in our own lives and of our lives, meaning mm -hmm. why am I here? What am I here to do? That's the meaning that we're all looking for. And you said something earlier about your story doesn't have to be unique because ultimately we all have the same story. Like if we follow everything down and we continue to ask the question, just like how a five-year-old is so incredibly great at asking a million questions. Like if we do the same thing, we find we all will come to the same answer and it's to be happy. So when it comes to imposter syndrome and that getting in the way, you have to find the level of whatever it is that you are promoting, right? Whether it's your own business or whether it's something in your career, 
you have to find the level <clears throat> at which you can confidently say, I do this, or I can do this, or I believe in this. And you start there and you build that up, right? Because otherwise it's just not going to convey. It's not going to come through in the way that you want it to because you are detached from the meaning in it and you are detached from your purpose in it. So hopefully yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by talking about it, you just have much more control over it, right? Because you're able to explain why are we doing this? Here's what we're trying to achieve. Here's what this means for us. Here's the impact it has versus allowing other people to kind of make up their own stories about it, which then you end up on the defensive. And then you, you really are going to have the challenges of this because you didn't take that opportunity to say, look, we're doing this great thing for these reasons. And People should know about that and then they'll understand. And then we can be even more successful because we'll have people who can fan our flames, right? We'll have people who understand what we're trying to do, who are, who become enthusiastic about it as well, who want to contribute versus waiting for somebody who's a naysayer to say, hmm, what, like, what are they hiding over there? <laughs> because they're trying to sneak this one past us. What's that about? And then you have a fire of a different sort, which you know, say so you really don't want that. What happens with any of these things, you know, when we're trying to achieve success in any kind of profession, whether it's our business and we have listeners who may be in a position where maybe they do some consulting work already, maybe they're thinking about different opportunities and different ways to apply their talents. And sometimes there are circumstances where our results are delayed and mm -hmm. we need to determine, okay, how do we think about that? How do we contextualize those delays versus sometimes it's not evidence that it's not going to happen, but it's just a natural part of the process. And then sometimes we just need to know, okay, what can I do about this? What would you say in that regard? Well, I'm always going to come back to state of mind and focusing on elevating your state of mind, because when something doesn't happen in the time that we expect it to, that can certainly trigger this kind of downward spiral mindset wise. And so I'm always going to bring it back to elevate your state of mind what's working right now because I often hear like one of the things that I say and I, I share it in the book too is about in the section of reframing it's one of the methods is diffusing extremes and so when we're in that place where something hasn't happened when we want it to we often begin to make statements or at least internally we're making statements to self right that nothing is working or everything is a failure. It all has all fallen apart. And we have to diffuse those extremes and say, has it really? Let's look at it. Let's look at what's actually accurate. And that can kind of get you back on track. Look at what's accurate and then elevate your state of mind, right? Using the tools, like any mindset tools, but certainly I shared them in the book as well. But I certainly believe that we influence our experiences in this reality. We don't have, obviously, control over when things happen or this would be a completely different experience, right? If we did. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a good thing though, because it gives us contrast. Because then when the thing does happen, you enjoy it that much more because you've waited for it. Whereas if things were to happen exactly when you wanted them to, we wouldn't have the same experience of them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so for those listeners who are considering whether or not they want to get involved in some type of consulting or some other type of business that they want to have. What does it require to have steady and consistent clients and income in that type of a business? Yeah, it's a good question. I was just actually, I was creating a workshop for 
something I call the middle work. That'll be book two. <laughs> and in the process of that, I was mapping out basically these 10 steps. And this applies to, of course, in, in my realm, which is being entrepreneurs. And of course, I do work with some consultants, but there's these 10 steps from a business perspective. What does it take for you to build a business and get to the point of just getting started to study clients and income? If I boiled it down to just 10 basic steps, here they are, right? And the thing about it is, yes, you can look at that logically and say, okay, here's what I have to do. But I also want you to become aware of where you hit those internal roadblocks along the way, because mm-hmm. I can pinpoint to you where most people start to fall apart, where they start to hit that kind of place of getting completely stuck, because it's the places that dredge up the most fear, doubt, and worry, right? And so become aware of that. That's like super key, right? Because if you don't know what's between where you are and where you want to go, then you're going to stay stuck in a certain place for a very long time. You don't, in addition to that, if you don't have the skills to move through it, and I'm talking about internal struggle that creates external struggle or creates a struggling business, right? This is one of the things that that I talk about a lot is, This is, yes, we can get certifications and we can go to school and we can gain all of this knowledge and these super valuable skills. But the one skill that most of us are lacking is how to handle self and all of the internal struggle that comes up when we embark upon a goal. And that's what you see in super highly successful people, especially in athletes, right? You see this kind of absence of that. We think that they don't have fear, doubt, and worry. That's not the case. So developing that skill, I think is crucial. And that's what I would say. And if you're thinking about starting a business, like map out the steps that you need to take to grow the business from an external action point and start going, like start moving on it, but become very aware of where you're hitting your own walls and barriers and gain the skill to move through those as you're moving through those actions. Excellent. Well, is there another book other than yours you've read recently or not so recently that you would recommend our listeners to check out? Mm, that's a really good question. There's one that that I've just read. Now, I've, I've actually, this is the second time I've read it. I'm looking at it right now because it's on my desk and it's called The Tools. And it's by Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. And this is going to probably be in your positive psychology realm. But the thing that's really great about it is, and I use some of these tools in my work as well, is there's just five simple tools to finding courage and creativity and willpower. And the thing that I love about his work is that it gives you something to actually do rather than to sit and talk about or contemplate further, right? It's, it's, an, it's an action right. that is correlated to the internal struggle. So it's a great one. Excellent. So yeah, listeners, check that one out. We'll put a link to that below and we will certainly put a link to Michelle's book, The Seven Minute Shift. Michelle, where can listeners find your book and learn more about your work? Sure. So it's on Amazon, of course. And you can also go to my author site, michellesarah.com. And you can also go to the elevatedmind.com to learn more about what I do. Great. So yeah, we'll put the links to Michelle's website and to Elevated Mind below and so you can find the book there and also to her LinkedIn profile if you want to follow her there and learn more about her work. 
And so please do, listeners, check those out. Subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this or visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Michelle, Sarah, thanks again for being on The Authority. Thank you. This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.